Please stand for the reading of the word of God. Our scripture for today is 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in that passion of lust like the Gentiles who you know, who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is the word of the Lord. Man, it is, uh, we've, multiple of us have said it's really good to be in the gym, and one of the reasons it's really good to be in the gym is, so I think August 10th was when the derecho hit, and the roof got partially ripped off of this building in this room, and hundreds of gallons of water, they think, went underneath the gym floor, and so since that, every single day we've looked in here, and they built this crazy structure over the top to, like, seal it. Uh, with all this plastic, and then they had fans and humidifiers, and they had all sorts of stuff on the stage running 24-7 for weeks, and we just kept looking, being like, it might be like five years before we're, we're in this gym, because we wanted to give space for the kids and in our where we were meeting in the cafeteria, and so... Uh, this time last week, we looked in and we're like, there's no way, like, there's all this structure built on top of this floor. And then they called us this week, the school did, and it was like, you're good to go. And I was like, everything's gone? It's like, yep, we're ready to go. And so, so if you see Tony, the custodian here, or any of the staff, like, man, thank them, because they, they worked really hard to let us be in here this week and, and, um, and just to be super open to us being in here um, yesterday. Uh, I spent yesterday morning, I thought I was going to be so sore I might not be able to even turn the page, but we were on a roof, uh, a bunch of us in Melbourne, uh, ripping shingles off of a roof all yesterday morning, and I, we, my son Silas and I, who's 13, we were dropping off a high school kid who lives in town here, and as we were driving back from, from doing the roofing stuff, he had like this light bulb, I mean, you, you could just tell by how he inhaled before he spoke, he was like, <gasps> and then he like looked at me and he was like, I just realized that we're living at a time that I will tell my kids about one day. He said just like that, like, you know? And I was like, I was like, David, you're right. Yes, like, uh, that's true. That, like, that is true. And man, it's uh, for him to sense the importance of our time in that moment. And I think for us to just realize like, man, how important it is to be able to proclaim the things that we've been able to proclaim, truths about our God. I think how important it is to actually have God, how important it is to have each other, how important it is to have the word of God to direct us. Um, man, like I am, when, when the Lord I think clearly directs us to say like, hey, go through the book of First Thessalonians, um, 
And it wasn't like audibly, but it just seemed clear, like, yeah, that's what we should do and not know how the weeks would work out and not know exactly what we'd focus on. And the amazing thing about preaching through books of the Bible is we don't skip anything. So if we're in the book of First Thessalonians, we're not like, oh, this is too hard. It's too awkward. We'll skip it. You know, but it's like, no, I think that this is what the Lord in his importance, he could have written that letter however he wanted. He could have focused on things that however, but to say like, this is what I want my people to hear at this moment. Um, and man, I think that uh, how we as followers of Jesus and those who are being invited to follow him, like how we live, how we're to live, like, man, they needed to hear that back then and we need to hear it now. <laughs> and I think David, it's like, hey, what are you gonna tell your kids when you get older about how you lived in that time and what it was like to live at that time. Here's a fascinating quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. This is common sense, really. You understand sleep best when you're awake, not while you're sleeping. You can see mistakes in math when your mind is working properly. While you are making them, you cannot see them. You can understand the nature of drunkenness when you're sober, not when you're drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. I just thought it was like a, just a, a very interesting quote for us in this moment when we gather weekly to gather as awake people, to gather as sober people, not in the middle of confusion with this fog, not in the middle of being asleep, but letting him open our eyes to give us clarity as awake people. And the topic for today uh, will be considerate with kids that are still in here and stuff, but the topic for today, I think we could easily say like, ah, it's private. That's private, uh, man, like we can maybe talk about that like at a different time in a different place, but to talk about that at church seems like the worst place to talk about this topic in church. And uh, man, God just says, I disagree. <laughs> I want to talk about sexual immorality today in church for us as awake people to clearly hear what is an important message and was made an important message of First Thessalonians. So we're not like taking a side message and bringing it front and center. Paul is bringing it front and center and we're like, well, we as people of the Bible need to bring it front and center as well. And I just want to share too, like I'm not on a pedestal here, uh, what we're talking about today, and I would love just to share my story privately uh, more and more, but um, this has been like the great war of my soul. And especially 16 years ago when I came to Jesus, um, or 20 years ago when I came to Jesus, um, this was the greatest battle that I didn't know if I would ever have victory in. And um, defeat is always a possibility. Defeat is always a possibility, which is why we need to be awake. We need to be aware. 
And the message today is just as much for me as it is for you. And it is for you, and it is for me. Uh, I'm, man, I'm praying, I've been praying this week that great repentance could happen today. Been praying this week that maybe great conviction would form in us today. Been praying that maybe great clarity would happen today, that maybe things that were foggy would get burned up by the sun. Maybe great resolve would form today in us by the power of God. Lord, I just ask, would we be a people eager for you to work in our lives, eager for you to transform us from where we are right now to where you want us to be? Would shame be just kept far away from us? There's no condemnation in this room because there's no condemnation in you and you own this room. Would fear, would defeat be kept far from us and would your transforming power be brought near to us today? We ask you, Jesus, would you just do what you wanna do in this room for your glory today, we pray, amen. All right, let's jump in. First Thessalonians chapter four. We do have a stack of Bibles on the connect table in the back. We've got these scripture journals on the connect table in the back, which uh, just are little booklets that are just the book of First Thessalonians. And if you wanna just like mark that up, take notes, all that stuff, um, it's easy for the Lord to clearly share something with us and for us to forget over lunch a little bit later. And so writing things down can really help sometimes for us to circle back around and see the things that the Lord was sharing with us. First Thessalonians four, starting verse one says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. A few thoughts here. Um, I, I'm grateful that our faith is described as a walk. I'm grateful our faith is described as a walk in this passage. There are times it feels like uh, treading water. There are times it feels like a crawl. Other times it feels like a sprint. But man, when it's a walk with a clear destination, with a clear purpose, and how we walk in our relationship with God is very important. And it's so important here that Paul starts this section by saying, finally. Now you can just like glance at the at First Thessalonians. We're not at the end. <laughs> so like if someone's like, finally, you're thinking like he's landing the plane, like, you know, we're, we're kind of wrapping this thing up. But uh, one of the things that we see here is by him saying, finally, is it's, it's a, a, a way of an expression of how he's writing to say, I've been writing a lot of things about how amazing it is that Satan has not destroyed your faith, that all of this persecution that the Thessalonians were experiencing and all the persecution and affliction, especially maybe that we've experienced in 2020, and all of this like, I'm so glad that you're still alive and well in your walk with Jesus. But then when he says, finally, he's saying, I'm getting to my point. 
and I'm getting to the central part of the letter. He's going to say a lot of other things after this, but by saying finally, he's honing us in to underscore what he's talking about and the centrality of the importance of where we're stepping here. And um, the people who make up the church were taught how to walk with Jesus. They're literally, literally, it says here in verse 2, given instructions that were passed down from Jesus to the disciples, now to the church on how to follow Jesus. And they're told what they learned, what they originally learned, do it more and more. You know, so like even for us, like it's the will of God and God really cares about this, about our sanctification. And, and we could say it like this. Uh, this is like, if you want to take notes, it could be like a way to like remember kind of what these three verses are about is it is God's will that God's people live in God's way. It is God's will. Like it's not, he's not far away and like, ah, I don't really care. I'll see him in heaven. But no, it's God's will actively that God's people live in God's way. And our sanctification is his will for each of us, every single one of us. And this is a big word and it's not a big concept, though, in one sense. It's a big word that means we are meant to be formed into the image of Jesus. The concept here is crucial. When we give our lives to Jesus, we don't, like, get mailed a card that we keep in our wallet. And it's like, just show this at the pearly gates and you'll get in. Like, salvation could have been like that. Like we get a card, we put in our wallet, and when we die, we get to heaven. And yes, God seals us for heaven, and it's an unbreakable seal that in verses like John 10, 10, no one and nothing can rip us out of his hands. So us being sealed by God upon putting our trust in Jesus is unbreakable and amazing. But there's a lot more going on. His will is for each of us to be transformed. Transformed in this life to look like his life. For each of us over the years, over the days, over the months, for our life to look more like his life. For our desires to look more like his desires. For our mind to reflect more and more his mind. And that is just simply called sanctification the process of him transforming us for our lives to reflect more and more Jesus's life for our joy and our good. And the, the way Paul writes this is his concern isn't primarily that they know more. You know, sometimes it's like, man, my life doesn't look quite <laughs> like Jesus as I'd like it to. Maybe I need to know a lot more. Maybe like there's a whole book that I'm missing. And once I have that book, it'll all fall into place. And th th it is true that we should grow in knowing him and loving him with our mind, souls, and strength. So, so mind is part of that. But instead, what Paul's focus here is that they actually grow in living out what they know. Actually grow more and more in living out what they know. And this is, this is how he's starting to move us into this. And one commentator says, often Christian discipleship doesn't hinge on studying new or deeper truths. 
It instead entails growth in proper Christian habits in order to live out truths already learned. So, so that's kind of, as a high level, it's, it's God's will that us, God's people, live in God's way. Now, verse 3 is going to really hone us in to this one very specific aspect of our sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one, verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you before and solemnly warned you, verse 7, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. We could say it like this, God's will for God's people is holy sex. God's will for God's people is holy sex, exclusive to a husband and wife, exclusive to a husband and wife, exclusive to being holy and honorable. It's fascinating. I mean, like, it's fascinating to see what is said and what is not said. The words that are chosen, the words that are not chosen. And for in this conversation, for the Lord to talk about it being holy and honorable. Holy is meaning that this isn't cheap. It's not cheap. It's set apart to be pleasing to God. Um, I remember being married 16 years ago. Uh, I remember uh, a buddy of mine, I had come to Jesus at University of Northern Iowa in 1997. And then Patty and I met, and uh, but a really good buddy of mine, Eric Potter, was, um, was a close friend of mine throughout college. He's actually here for our one-year celebration. He does ministry in Peoria, Illinois to high school students. But on, I mean, this was all so new to me. And like, I felt like the Lord had to reprogram in my mind just the way he viewed um, sex, the way he viewed husband and wife. Um, like, you know, he was teaching me all this for the first time. And I didn't know quite, like, what this was all going to be like in marriage. And, and I'd kind of, a lot of my experience had been movies and things I'd seen where it, it wasn't this type of a concept. And I remember Eric coming up to me as Patty and I were getting ready to leave um, from our reception, which was actually in the, in the old gym in Maxwell. And uh, we were getting ready to leave and Eric came up to me and said, have an amazing worship service. <laughs> and I just remember being like, huh, yeah, okay. I, I get what you're talking about, you know. Um, but just the, um, the, the way of recognizing the great joy of God's gifts being used in God's design and how honoring that is to him, how honoring that is to us. And uh, with honor, too, it means that we're honoring the Lord and we're honoring each other. This isn't something demeaning to anybody. It's honoring to our spouse. And Tim Keller, um, we could spend 30 minutes just talking about the Roman Empire and how this message in the Roman Empire was probably more shocking 
than if like I stood in the corner of the street in San Francisco and preached the same message. Like the Roman Empire was just very much known for um, sexual immorality. Make it very, very simple. Tim Keller mentions this. He's a pastor in uh, New York City. He says, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. The pagan society around the Thessalonians was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A non-believer gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. The Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money, which just shocked the culture around, like who are these people? Why are they acting this way? Um, C.S. Lewis, I'm quoting C.S. Lewis a a little heavy twice um, because uh, Mere Christianity is such a classic, such a powerful book written to a very skeptical people. C.S. Lewis was, grew up in a Christian home but totally rejected the faith and uh, was an atheist professor at Oxford uh, before World War II and um, Jesus just totally got a hold of him rewrote his whole story and his whole life. And in Mere Christianity, he writes several very accessible chapters on this topic. And on page 95, Lewis says, either marriage with complete faithfulness to your partner or else total abstinence. Now this is so difficult and so contrary to our instincts that obviously either Christianity is wrong or our sexual instinct as it now is, has gone wrong. And it has gone wrong. It wasn't always this way. Look at Genesis chapter two, verses 24 through 25. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. At first, there was Adam and Eve delighting in each other. There was no pornography. There was no masturbation. There was no premarital sex. There was no adultery. There was no homosexuality. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, brokenness of all kinds entered our world. God's design for our life became out of our reach. God's design for our life became out of our reach. His good gifts were met by our brokenness. Sex was designed as a beautiful and central part of many intimate joys enjoyed inside of marriage. We twisted and perverted God's great gifts. The Lord is on the move, though. And man, this is why we shouldn't feel like shame. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, This should be a message of freedom because God is on the move to restore to us his design, his original design. His will is our sanctification. Look at verse six again, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, in this matter. Um, In some ways, I think it's, um, it's, it's good, I think, to think of sex as like a fire in a fireplace. So 
cozy, so warm, so romantic, fire in the fireplace. It's beautiful, it's designed to flourish, to bring warmth to a marriage when it's in the fireplace. What would happen though if you decide to like light a fire in your living room? Like it might be like really exciting for a few seconds. And then there's a fire that cannot be consumed, like, or that it is continuing to eat away at your home. It has an endless appetite for destruction. If you light a fire in your living room, you will find it has an endless appetite for destruction. It causes destruction not just to you, and I think this is verse six. It causes destruction not just to you, not just to me, other people involved, but even people beyond those involved. And it can be a fire that continues to spread, sinning against, wronging brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're told here, avoid this with full seriousness. And man, like if you read through the Proverbs, about every 10 verses, you're, you're getting taught over and over again the destructive nature of it outside the fireplace. And man, would we take seriously what God wants to do in our lives? He's an avenger here. Like for those of us who love the Avengers, you know, to think like he describes himself as an avenger on this topic. That's how much he's after it for us, for it to be according to his design. And for all Christians, for single, for married, for widowed, that we would have a high view of God's gift in this area. The higher that it is in our lives and to say like, this is of such importance and we're gonna keep it here. Our whole community is we are actually shining light to the truth and not to empty deceptive paths towards death. And man, I've, I've been there where I was like, man, I, I feel like I was doing it all according to the movies and the way that everything likes pointed to. And why do I feel so terrible? And why does it seem to be leading me towards destruction and uh, all these addictions? And man, we could though take the other view of like, ah, it's a suggestion. Like Paul is suggesting some ideas that I may or may not accept. Maybe these are just Paul. Paul was single. What does he know? Maybe uh, Paul just doesn't know what he's talking about. And maybe I should just forget I ever heard any of this. Um, verse 8 is our answer. Look at verse 8. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to us. Dang. Um, we could say it like this. God's people are given God's power to live in God's way. God's people are given God's power to live in God's way. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit rips out of our lives long-held sins. The Holy Spirit gives fruit to our lives to live out God's design for us. And we're told, don't disregard this. <laughs> don't disregard this today. If we do, we're directly disregarding the living God's megaphone to us for our flourishing, for our joy, for our peace, for our righteousness. Don't disregard this teaching today. Instead, allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. It's okay. 
He's for us. He's good. Allow the Holy Spirit to counsel you. Allow the Holy Spirit to heal you, to heal immorality that's been done against us or done by you or both. To allow the Holy Spirit to totally rewire our brains, to rewire our desires, to give us power to do his will. Um, there are two passages that just when I was in college, I'd have like one on each four by six card in my back pockets that I was just like, man, Lord, if, I, if there's any way that this is actually possible, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to rip things out of my life. You're going to have to implant things into me because I know I don't have what it takes to, on my own, follow your will. And I think he was like, thank you for setting aside and letting me do it in you, what I desire for you. But uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I just wanted to share a couple of verses that, um, man, I, I hope that, that us, the people of Sacred Mission Church, like know these by heart over time that just help to give us roots. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not a freak. We're all freaks. <laughs> no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's how close he is to us. That's how close he is for our sanctification, is even to be like, giving you a way out, giving you a way out, giving you a way out, giving you a way out. Take it, take the exit, take the exit. Go to freedom. Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Man, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Man, I mean, I think everybody would raise their hand and say, I'll take that. The peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Uh, man, I would love for us to pray over each other now that we've got a lot more space to, um, man, don't run out of here. I, I think that this is a message where it's really good for us to come around each other. I think uh, for maybe marriages that need healing, for, um, man, living single life in these moments um, through through many different ways to know like, man, I need the power of God. But just two final words uh, before we, we worship, before we take communion together, before we, um, we minister to each other. Uh, one is um, feel sorrow, but not shame. I don't think in our culture we do a really good job distinguishing those, but sorrow actually can lead us to repentance which can lead us to transformation. Man, I, I, I wish that would have never happened. Sorrow, shame makes us cower in a corner. And Jesus' people are not ever, ever led to that. But sorrow is really healthy. Sorrow makes us, leads us to repentance. Shame leads, usually leads us to isolation. And uh, repentance leads us into community of people who are lifting each other up. Shame isolates us, and uh, only the enemy's playground is there. I was uh, reading through 
It's a hard read, but I've been reading through the book of Ezekiel. There's a lot in there that takes a lot. It's very concentrated, uh, but I was blown away this week to get to Ezekiel 16 because basically it's been 16 chapters of people living totally not the way they're supposed to live, like inventing ways, being creative in ways to go against everything we've talked about this morning. And this was hundreds of years before Jesus came. And I was just, I was like, gosh, I can't, the timing of this, just a few days ago to read this, I was like, I have to share this. Maybe this is just for you. But uh, at the end of Ezekiel 16, uh, God says, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be confounded. And he is directly talking to sexual immorality here, that you may remember and be confounded and never open your mouth again because of your shame. Like we won't even have to speak of shame because of what he will do when I atone for you and for all that you have done, declares the Lord. And I love this because at the time we'd be like, atone, I don't know what that means. Like, because they didn't know about Jesus. Like they were just trusting that somehow there would be an atonement down the road that would remove their shame And that would actually, for him to say, never open your mouth again because of your shame when I atone for you for all that you've done, declares the Lord. Um, He's prophesying here what he has done. Any shame was nailed to the cross for us in Jesus. So feel sorrow, not shame. And then second is be free. Be free. Like Jesus is work for us is for our freedom and our freedom in this area. And if you are free, live into greater freedom more and more, Paul said. And if you're not free, get free. If you're not free, get free. And this is where, like, we're not a people, like, I I, I would, I hope that we don't become a people where we walk in and put up these walls and masks and like, (laughs) Like, free, I'm so free. And then we leave and we have these desperate lives that feel like we're enslaved to this or something else. And I think this is one of the reasons we exist as a people is to point each other towards the freedoms that we have in Jesus, not to be free from him, but to be free for him and to live as free people. So that might be us praying for addictions to be broken today. It might be us praying for temptations to be escaped today. It might be praying for marriages to be reignited today. It might be praying for salvation to enter into this today, to let his atonement atone for your sins. So Lord, whatever you're doing in our midst, we just say yes. It might feel so powerful. It might feel so big that that we couldn't do it on our own. And I think that's the point of us being here is to actually come around each other, letting you be the head of our body and us being members that are strengthening each other, loving each other, not pushing each other away. Um, Lord, I'm so grateful for the many stories of people who risked vulnerability and thought they were gonna be rejected and instead people drew closer to them. And Lord, we pray even today that we may see that happen in our midst. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen. All right, uh, very much we don't wanna do this in our own power. 
And one of the reasons that Jesus created communion for us is to commune with him, to move towards him, not move away from him. So if you are a follower of Jesus, the, the way that we do this is we have, uh, we haven't done this for several months now, but we actually do have wine and juice. So we have a, a couple uh, options there. Obey your conscience in that. Um, his blood represented, or the wine and the juice representing his blood that paid for us, conquered death through his death, burial, resurrection. And then we do have a, kind of a cup within a cup, and in there is the bread as well. It represents his body. So if, if you are a follower of Jesus, please come. There are warnings in Scripture, though. Don't come quickly if the Lord has opened your eyes to things to repent of. Repent of those things. And then let's come as brothers and sisters. What we'll do is we'll take it, and then we'll hold it all together and take it together as family. And if you're not at this time a follower of Jesus, don't come here. Uh, just invite you to come to Jesus. Give your life to him, follow him, be free in him. So let's come, let's respond to Jesus.